Well, thank you for having me. Um, like you said, my name is John O'Rourke. Um, my ministry is called Full Armor Ministries. What I do um, primarily is evangelistic work, and that is um, with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship, which is a missionary-sending organization, do evangelism um, to basically the public in this area, going out to the streets wherever people are and bringing the gospel to them. That's what um, evangelism uh, is all about. So um, in addition to that, I also go out to the abortion mill in Bristol, Tennessee, which is why I'm here tonight to talk about um, some of that and also really mainly my approach, really a biblical Christian approach to the issue of abortion. Uh, my so-called you know, pro-lifeism is rooted in my Christian worldview, and that is the pro-life or anti-abortion work is rooted in a Christian worldview and is the outworking of it. Um, I also do a podcast called Full Armor Radio. It's on all the podcast catchers and all that, also on YouTube. Um, talk about various theological things, usually, usually related to evangelism and apologetics or defense of the Christian faith, um, as well as recordings of my conversations with people out on the streets talking about the gospel, people of various religions and worldviews. My, um, my topic tonight is, is a biblical, a distinctly Christian opposition to abortion. I've called it pro-life is not enough, and I'm referring to a mainline kind of typical pro-life movement position on abortion and talking about where uh, that fails, where that does not um, work very well and where that is not something that's rooted in a Christian worldview. We're going to have a better, a better view. So the main thesis of this talk is that the pro-life movement, the mainline pro-life movement, has misidentified the root problem with abortion and therefore has misidentified the solution as well. They, they have misidentified the disease and therefore give the wrong medicine, in other words. There's an old song by Bob Dylan called Blowing in the Wind, and in that song, he asks a lot of questions, a lot of kind of rhetorical, thought-provoking questions. You know, how many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? That sort of thing. One of the lines is this, how many times can a man turn his head and pretend he just doesn't see? And that's kind of the issue with the pro-life movement today, is how many times can we pretend that, the, that what, pretend, when you, when you talk about the issue of abortion, we don't talk about it frankly, we don't talk about it the way that it really is, we don't talk about it with any sense of reality um, in terms of the, the, the darkness of it and the depths of it. So, as a Christian, I am called to make righteous judgments. You can kind of scroll through, they're kind of each in, in bullet points, you're good. So John 7, 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. I'm also called to not partake in sin, but instead expose as Ephesians 4 says, do not take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So let's talk about the abortion issue a little bit. What is abortion? Abortion is the murder or the intentional killing of a preborn human child. Modern abortion methods are usually classified under surgical and medical. A surgical, for example, one would be called vacuum aspiration, which is the method by which they take a very strong vacuum and suck a, a baby out of the uterus, suck it into bits, suck the arms off, suck the legs off, suck the little bits of it into a vacuum, and then uh, reassemble it on a tray to make sure they've got all the parts of the baby out. And that's one method. And then a very common method is also medical or also called chemical abortion, which is through pills, which is when a woman will take pills, um, mifepristone and misoprostol, and um, will, it will cause, in other words, it will cause a miscarriage. They will give birth prematurely to a baby who has been killed, and that's ultimately 
the issue there. So those are the two modern methods of, of abortion or of killing a child. So as I said before, an anti-abortion position is rooted in the biblical Christian worldview. In order to have a rational opposition to abortion, we have to start with God's word as the foundation. It's the only rational foundation for saying anything is right or wrong. There's no neutrality when it comes to worldviews. Okay? I only can touch upon this for a second due to time constraints. But any, any opposition to abortion that's not rooted in God's word is ultimately arbitrary and therefore irrational. And what I mean by arbitrary is that you're believing something without a sound reason to believe it. You're believing something just because. And that's simply not good enough. So the question is, why is it wrong to murder babies? How do we know that it's wrong? Okay, how can we know the answer to that? The, the, can, you, can you give a reason that's not arbitrary, not inconsistent when it comes to answering that question? If you give any reason that's apart from the foundation of God's word and the Bible, it's ultimately going to be arbitrary. I mean, you're not going to have a sound reason to say that anything is right or wrong, including murder and including the murder of preborn children. So we have to be consistent. We have to start with the right foundation. So biblical view of abortion. What is, what is God's position on abortion. He's laid out in his word a clear opposition to abortion in the Bible. He calls it murder and therefore is evil. It's wrong. So key question when it comes to abortion, are the unborn human beings? What are the unborn? So the basic argument that we'll make, one, premise number one, God commands you shall not murder in the, in the sixth commandment. Premise number two, the unborn are human beings. And therefore, the conclusion, God forbids the murder of the unborn. The unborn are human beings. That's the key premise. That's the argument. If God says don't murder human beings, what are the unborn? If they are human beings, therefore, you cannot murder unborn human beings. So let's look at some of the scriptural data. Psalm 139.13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. See that continuity. The psalmist is writing about himself. This was me when I was in the womb. Not something different, but the same person that he is now. There's a continuity of the person before and after they are born. Psalm 22.10, similarly, on you as cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God, there's that continuity of personhood between before you're born and after you're born. Psalm 27, verse, 127, verse 3. This is a parallelism. The first line and the second line parallel one another. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward. What is produced in the womb? What's the fruit of the womb? Children. Same thing. It's a parallelism. More text. Luke 1.15, about John the Baptist, it says... He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Again, the continuity of personhood for John the Baptist before and after he's born. About Jacob and Esau in Romans chapter 9, it says, Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived, what? Children. By one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born. Who? Jacob and Esau. And he had done, and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. These were the same people before they were born. The unborn John the Baptist responding to the unborn Jesus in Luke 1. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Talking about Jesus. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, 
Who is Mary the mother of? Jesus, the person of Jesus, while he is still in her womb. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So unborn John the Baptist and unborn Jesus there in that narrative. In Exodus, we get legal rights for both born babies and unborn babies. Exodus 21, for unborn babies. When men strive together, when they fight, when men fight and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. So there's legal rights for unborn babies. What about born babies? Leviticus 20, verse 2, about people who would offer their babies to the false god Molech and give child sacrifice. It says, Say the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. So we have equal rights for born children and for unborn children, as the Bible consistently teaches that the unborn are indeed children. So there are some common pro-life viewpoints that I wanted to address. Do women who have abortions know they are pregnant with a baby? This is a very common thing that I hear. You have things like this from the pro-life movement. Mothers who have abortions don't know that they have a baby in their womb. Yeah, they think it's a non-human clump of cells and therefore are ignorant of what they're doing. You've probably heard of that before yourself. If only they knew it was a baby, they would never have an abortion. That's a claim that I hear as well. What about this? The solution to abortion is more ultrasounds or the education of women. They're just ignorant. They don't know what, what's going on. Ultrasounds will end abortion, right? That's, that's a claim that I hear, or, or virtually end abortion. They'll say the problem is ignorance. They don't know what's going on. Therefore, the solution is more education, or it's more ultrasounds, or whatever. Here's another one. Mothers who have abortions oftentimes feel guilty or regret, or regret their abortion, and therefore are also victims of abortion alongside the child. Babies are not the only victims of abortion. The mommies and daddies have abortions are also victims. I've heard that many times as well. Here's some real-life examples from some, some mainline pro-life movements. Students for Life. All abortion is violence against mother, child, father, and society. Okay? So they're all victims of abortion. Ultrasounds being the answer. Here's one group that says four out of five women who board this ultrasound bus will choose life for their babies. 80% of abortions could be avoided, they say, simply by women knowing that it's a baby, by seeing a picture. Here's one. First choice pregnancy services. Free ultrasound to determine viability. You may not need an abortion, they say. One in four pregnancies ends naturally. It's an interesting pro-life underhanded way to say, hey, maybe you won't have to kill your baby. Maybe it'll die on the zone. Come, really the strategy here though is come, get an ultrasound, because that will for sure deter you from murdering your unborn child. That's the idea here. Here's some examples of what Students for Life thinks are bad things to say when you're doing anti-abortion stuff. Don't tell people not to kill their baby. You don't want to say that, according to them. You don't want to say that abortion kills children. You don't want to say that either. You don't want to say what the Bible says. You don't want to say what God says about it. You don't want to say thou shalt not kill, which of course is from the Bible. And you certainly don't want to say abortion is murder. These, according to Students for Life, is bad things to say when dealing with the abortion issue, according to them. So think about some of the upcoming screenshots I'm going to show you. 
there's, I have a, a lot of screenshots of women online. These are screenshots from online you know, um, forums where people talk about abortion and talk about you know, their planning for abortion and things like that. These are the key questions I want you to keep in mind as we go through a number of these slides. Do these women know that they're pregnant with the baby? Keep that in mind. Are ultrasounds the solution to this problem, to this abortion issue? And third, are the mothers who kill these babies, are they, are they really victims of the abortion industry or, or victims of abortion? So let's look at some screenshots here. Well, obviously, you have some women here who do not regret their abortion. It couldn't be more clear than that. Let's talk about some of these. I had my surgical yesterday, and I feel so happy to know there isn't a baby inside me anymore. Is this bad? I don't feel guilty or sad at all. Just relieved and excited to move on with my life. It was originally a planned pregnancy, but I realized after I fell pregnant that maybe I don't want another child after all. And being pregnant for the past seven weeks was draining on my mental health. This group answered so many questions leading up to my appointment. Thank you, ladies. That's one example. Does anyone feel like a bad A after their abortion? Trust me, some, some days I'm a hot mess over it, but I don't know. This darkness awoke something in me, transformed me. Anything that I feel I have to put fake energy into isn't worth my time anymore. I'm so authentically me now, and I owe it to my little seed. I feel like I answered a different level of motherhood, where only the strongest are allowed in. Where it's like we're a secret sisterhood and nod each other in respect because we only know the sacrifice that we've made. How about this? I'm thankful I'm not 13 weeks pregnant. My abortion was back on October 28th. Just thankful I did it. 23 years old, single, and grateful I did it. That is what I'm giving thanks for this Thanksgiving. How about this? I've had an abortion in 2004 that I don't regret. And two, miscarri and two miscarriages when we were actively trying. I didn't cry at all during my abortion. Instead, I was so happy that I was singing and skipping out of the clinic. Alternatively, I cried so hard with my first miscarriage. The second miscarriage was actually a vanishing twin of my surviving daughter. I'm now a bereavement doula for people who experience any type of pregnancy termination, abortion, miscarriage, or stillbirth. I'll stop there. Abortion is radically different than a miscarriage or a stillbirth. Abortion is an intentional killing of a child where the other two are natural deaths. When I'm asked about my experience, I tell them about all three experiences, mentioning all three as my children. But very different seasons and experiences in my life, and that all my emotions and all my experiences are equally valid because it's my body, my life, and my experience. Excited. Going to my first appointment, I'm oddly looking forward to it. I just got out of being my mom's caregiver for the last few years and started my master's program. Along with the pandemic and the turmoil of the world, I simply do not want a child. I'm grateful this is an option. Can I request to save the ashes? I'm wondering if anyone has ever heard of keeping the ashes of your baby to have a remembrance. I live in blank, so I'm not sure if that changes things. This is actually at the Bristol abortion mill. Kind of like a party out there. Here's one girl. On my way to get another abortion to celebrate, wearing my abortion earrings, abortion necklace, abortion shirt, abortion button, abortion fanny pack, and drinking from my abortion koozie. Abortion fanny pack says, fund abortion, build power, by the way. Is it naff? And naff means distasteful. Is it distasteful to say congratulations on your abortion? Oh well, congrats anyway. Glad you did what was right for you. I'd be worried about taking the pills and it not being effective. Just suck that effer out and get it done. 
Congratulations, so happy for you, they say. Here's one. Here's a woman who got an abortion on her birthday. What's the balloon say? It was a boy. Happy abortion. These are from her coworkers. And the hashtags say booze and abortion at 27, etc. Here's something from the Satanic Temple, a billboard they put up. Our religious abortion rituals avert many state restrictions. I thought that was interesting how overtly religious they are about it. Here's a story of uh, Violet, some of these um, posts, same woman here. The lady who explained my abortion to me over the phone for tomorrow morning was so lovely and kind, and they're going to give me a copper IUD and monthly ultrasounds to check on it, so I'm not worried it will migrate or reject the IV, sedate me for both, and all those things. Ah, nervous but exciting to get this effing face hugger out of my torso. Next one, we added baby Bort to our family fridge collage. That's a picture of the sonogram on the fridge there, ultrasound picture, baby Bort as in abortion. Continuing on with, with Violet here. Ah, on my way to the Borton. I survived my abortion and I'm wavy on fentanyl drip and no longer pregnant with an emoji of somebody throwing something in the trash and a baby with a halo and wings. Same person. I walked to my house. My wife got me a balloon to celebrate. The balloon originally said baby boy. Now it says baby abortion. Here's a different person. Men against abortion are just jealous. They'll never know how good it feels to kill a baby. 1,763 likes on that post at the moment of that screenshot. What about ultrasounds here? I'm pregnant, having a scan soon to find out if it's a girl or an abortion. Hashtag kill all men. A lot of responses to that, so she had a, a follow-up. She says, I don't have the stomach to read all these negative comments. Here's your update. Some people have con convinced me to look into raising my child as a girl, even if it's a boy, and trying to get treatment as early as seven years old. I've been reading a lot about that. She ain't kidding. It's either a girl, she's going to raise it like a girl, or she's going to kill. Here's another one. Whether or not I see the sonogram or know the field of development, I will, with no hesitation, end a pregnancy I don't want. If I don't want it growing inside me, it won't be for long. It's as simple as that. A Christian responded, says, I appreciate your honesty. Everyone should read your words. Have you killed a baby before via abortion, or is this just stating that you will do it if you create a baby you don't want? And she responds, I will do it with a effing smile. The twin heartbeats of one of my pre-abortion sonograms further solidified my choice. I've had five abortions. When I did my ultrasound, I wanted nothing more than for it to die. Fortunately, the problem took care of itself when I miscarried. I celebrated. Similar to the other one, it's either a girl or an abortion. Here's an article that I read way back in 2013 when it was published. It's called So What If Abortion Ends Life? The subtext is, I believe that life starts at conception and it's never stopped me from being pro-choice. I want to look at some sections of this. Here's what she says. When we on the pro-choice side get cagey around the life question, it makes us illogically contradictory. I have friends who have referred to their abortions in terms of scraping out a bunch of cells and then a few years later were exultants over the pregnancies that they unhesitantly described in terms of the baby or this kid. I know women who have been relieved at their abortions and grieved over their miscarriages. Why can't we agree that how they felt about their pregnancies was vastly different, but it's pretty silly to pretend that what's growing inside of them wasn't the same. Fetuses aren't selective like that. They don't qualify as human life only if they're intended to be born. Sounds kind of like a pro-life argument, doesn't it? 
But she go on to say, though, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. It's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in, whom's, in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what's right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. She ends the article like this. I put the life of a mother over the life of a fetus every single time, even if I still need to acknowledge my conviction that the fetus is indeed a life, a life worth sacrificing. What about this? This happened relatively recently up in Ohio. Killing a baby before birth or after birth, what's, what's the difference? Logically, it's the same. This couple did this. They, they're accused of terminating pregnancy, killing baby. They're charged for allegedly killing their unborn child. Here's the story. A couple appeared in court Monday facing charges that they induced a woman's pregnancy and left the newborn to die at their apartment in Heath, Ohio. These two, two people, Kalina and Braden, appeared before a magistrate in Licking County courtroom where they each faced charges of involuntary manslaughter, endangering children, abuse of a corpse, and tampering with evidence. Investigators said that this all happened in September, but the indictment was just unsealed today, leading to the arrest of the pair. Here's what happened. The two showed up at a hospital, which led investigators to their apartment, where they found a newborn boy in a shoebox inside a trash bag. Investigators further said the two purchased the drug misoprostol, that is, or the abortion pills. That's the drug used to treat ulcers, induce labor, and to cause an abortion. Gillum was 28 or 29 weeks pregnant and took 12 of the pills to induce labor. Prosecutors said the couple then failed to get help for the child. So the neighbor said that she had no idea Gillum was pregnant. She said they saw the couple regularly and said hi and all that. The woman never knew why the emergency personnel showed up until today. She says, it's breaking my heart, the woman said. I'm really shocked. I didn't know my neighbors were like that. Here's the kicker. That drug you can get, you can do that. If the child is born dead, no problem. That's how it is. But if the child's born alive, and you stuff that kid in a shoebox, put it in a trash bag, and let it die, that's where you're prosecuted. Is there inconsistency there? Yes, huge inconsistencies there. Same drug even, right? So it's oftentimes the case, what have we seen here? It's oftentimes the case, the mother knows it's a baby. They don't regret their abortions oftentimes. They're not ashamed of their abortions oftentimes. Even more than that, they're often proud of their abortions and like to post things about it online. So what though, what if the mother does regret the abortion? Because that does happen too. Is she, is she a victim of abortion when she regrets it? That's the question. Well, here's an analogy. If I were to murder my two-year-old and then feel real bad about it, would I be a victim of his murder? Of course not. I'd still be his murderer and he would still be the victim. That's the reality of the situation here. So why is it that these people knowingly and willfully kill their children. They don't care to call the baby. They know it. No problems. Why do they do that? It's the nature of, of human beings. This, this is where the biblical worldview can answer these questions. What did Jesus say? Mark 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That's uh, sinners by nature. That's human by nature. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. 
That is naturally how human beings are. Jesus said of everyone who's not a Christian in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Romans 3.10 describes all humanity. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is, of all humanity, a description. So what's the bottom line here? What do we have from the biblical data of human nature, sinners, the sinful nature, is that people are evil. We, by nature, are evil. We want to sin. That's our desire. That's our natural will, is a desire to sin. As Romans 8 says, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's not neutral. It's hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the nature. So the problem is not ignorance. The problem is not ignorance of what's going on, or it's not, not knowing it's a baby. The problem is the sinful heart of human beings. That's the, the primary and foundational issue here. The answer then is not simply more ultrasounds or education. See, education and ultrasounds wouldn't fix those, those problems that we saw earlier. What we have, the answer then, since it's not education, the answer is the gospel. Romans 1 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This raises a really important question then, doesn't it? What is the gospel? So the gospel is the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means. It means good news of Jesus, the Lord and Savior. What is the bad news then? We need to know the bad news before we can understand the good news. The bad news is all people are sinners. That means we all break the commandments of God, which are summarized in the Ten Commandments. Two, God's righteous and just and must and will punish all lawbreaking. Okay? He's not going to overlook or let lawbreaking slide. God's standard to get into heaven is absolute, perfect, moral perfection. That's not good news for you and me, as we are not absolutely perfect and, and are not perfectly righteous. On Judgment Day, if God judges you based upon how well you've kept the Ten Commandments, he's going to find you guilty, because we've all broken them. We've all lied and stolen and lusted, etc. We've broken God's law. He'll find us guilty. And if God finds you guilty, then he, when he judges you, he will punish you with the justice of hell. That's, that is how it is for all human beings by nature. We're all guilty. And we're all deserving of God's justice. That's the bad news. What then is the good news? The good news is that Jesus came to save sinners from the wrath of God and to forgive them for their sins. The, the, the penalty that I deserve coming on me is put on Jesus instead. He dies as a substitute. So I don't have to face the penalty for my sins. Jesus has faced them for me. And since I said before, the standard to go to heaven really is absolute moral perfection. Well, Jesus solves that problem for me as well as he kept the law of God perfectly on behalf of the sinner. So just like my guilt was transferred to him and he took the penalty, his righteousness was transferred to me and I uh, reap eternal life, reap uh, salvation from it. So by Jesus' life and death, the sinner's guilt is transferred to Jesus' account so that he bears the penalty in the place of the sinner. And Jesus' righteousness, which he earned by law-keeping, is transferred to the sinner's account so that he gets the reward of eternal life. So when God sees me, 
He no longer sees me as guilty because my penalty has been paid for by Christ. He also sees me as perfectly righteous, not because I've done anything, but because Jesus' righteousness was transferred to my account. And in that way, God can accept me because of what Jesus has done. So one can receive this forgiveness by trusting or by believing or putting their faith in Jesus and his finished work by trusting in him and him alone as the only way to be saved and in no way trusting in your own good works, not looking at God and saying, look what I have done, because the standard is perfection. There's no possible way that you could ever meet the standard, but Jesus did, and if you trust in him, he can save you by his, by his finished work of law-keeping and his substitutionary death on the cross. And true faith is always accompanied by genuine repentance. Repentance just means to hate your sin, to turn away from your sin, and turn to God. So if you trust in Christ alone and repent of your sins, he will save you by his finished work. So the gospel then is the answer for pre-abortive mothers, mothers who have not gone through with the abortion yet, right? How does the gospel affect the abortion issue in this way? Well, all Christians, which are people who believe the gospel I just outlined, are born again, according to the Bible, and therefore they have new desires. That's what it means to be born again. You have a new heart with new desires that God has given you. You want to do what pleases the Lord instead of living in rebellion. We'll look at a couple texts here. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It means you're a new person. Jesus, God, makes you a new person when you're born again. Here's one very clear, Ezekiel 36. God speaking, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So how does this relate to the abortion issue? When God makes people born again through the preaching of the gospel, he gives them new hearts with new desires so that they no longer have the desire to murder their own children. They're no longer in abject rebellion against God because they have a, a changed heart. By nature, we're all in rebellion, but God changes hearts so that they no longer want to walk in rebellion against God. So for pre-abortive mothers who, who have their minds set on, I don't want my baby, I'm going to kill my baby, I don't care, this is the answer for them. It's not that they're ignorant, it's that they're sinners. So pro-life groups and strategies that don't have the gospel are going to fail in their attempts, because ultrasounds, they don't change hearts. A woman knowing she is pregnant with a baby doesn't change her heart. We've seen that a lot this evening. They know it's a baby. It doesn't change anything, does it? There's nothing that can change an evil person's heart but the grace of God. And the gospel is also the answer for post-abortive mothers as well, for those who already have killed their children. Because God forgives every sin of those who repent and believe the gospel, including the sin of abortion. Murder is not something that's, that cannot be forgiven by God. God forgives murderers too. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This deals with the, with the issue in both ways. It's preventative of abortion, but it also deals with the, the woman who is guilty of murder, but God can forgive. If they repent and believe, their sin is covered and they're no longer, it's no longer held against them by God. So what are we to do? What are we to do? We need, to learn, we need to learn the gospel. We need to learn how to spread the gospel. We need to learn what the gospel message is. There are many pro-life movements that I've interacted with personally through email who tell me they're gospel-centered. And I ask you, what's the gospel? And they won't answer me. Okay? It's very important to know what the gospel is, not just use the word. The word means nothing unless you can define it. 
Secondly, you learn how to do it, then you need to actually do it. Spread the gospel to people around you. Not just even to people who you know are actively seeking abortion, but to anybody and everybody. Because this, this issue of abortion is widespread in our country. Be able to discuss the issue of abortion biblically. Due to time constraints, I've only been able to touch on a little bit of this issue. This is a complex and, and detailed issue, this issue of abortion. There's lots of things we could talk about. We could talk about how to deal with it from a, from a civil or criminal standpoint as well, but that's not something we can touch on this evening. I want to talk about the root issue tonight, and the root issue being the sinful heart of people, and to call people to repentance and faith in Christ alone. So that not only, repent, that only, not only prevents abortions when people are converted, but it also is the, the salve to the people who are guilty of killing their children when, when they know that God can forgive them because of what Christ has done. And reaching out to abortive-minded mothers with the truth is something you can do as well, being very particular about it. Now, you can do that in person at an abortion clinic or places where you know they'll be, or online. All these, all these screenshots I told you were, were Christian women primarily going and looking to try to find people in these abortion groups online and talk to them. And, and babies have been saved through that work, through people just basically instant messaging uh, the gospel to them, going back and forth, and these people uh, repent of, of their intention to murder. We learn from, from James chapter 4, verse 17, in closing, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. It's often called, oftentimes called the sin of omission, not doing what you ought to do. And that's what I wanted to, to leave you with um, this evening, is that we have to understand, if we're going to have the right solution to this serious, wicked problem, we need to have, understand what the problem is, the root problem is. And I hope you can see, uh, oftentimes it is the case that people um, are not ignorant of what's growing inside their uterus when they're pregnant. Um, people have always known what it means to be pregnant. It is not a difficult issue. People are not that dumb. When you are pregnant, people know that means you have a baby. People have always known that before ultrasounds too, okay? The ultrasound thing is illegitimate, okay? People know, and we saw tonight as well, some of these women even said, yeah, when I saw the ultrasound, that solidified my choice, I want to kill that baby. See, it's not a matter of ignorance, it's a matter of from the heart of human beings, we have all sorts of sin in us by nature, and uh, therefore we need the gospel. We need salvation. We need to be forgiven of our sins and being born again through, that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. It's the only way to deal with any sort of gross sin issue, including the issue of murdering of, of, of small children. So thank you for your time.